Will our heroes be able to best this new challenge? We'll see tonight on House everybody I know uh, our show has uh, a reputation for uh, coastal elitism and snobbery due largely to yours truly but in fact uh, all of the actual members other than myself of Chapo Trap House are pure Midwest pure Midwest it's we got, true yes. we got we got Chris Wade in Cincinnati, Ohio. Cincinnati! Got Matt Crisman, Manitowoc, Wisconsin. Yeah, Stephen Avery, guilty! He did that shit! We got uh, my, my own my own love, Catherine Krieger, Wausau, Wisconsin. And of course, we've got the god, Felix Biederman, right here in Chicago, <laughs> Illinois. Hyde Park, Hyde Park. You know, as, as most people know, I grew up in... Hyde Park, which is a typical Midwestern town. You know, we had uh, the old uh, steel mill down at the University of Chicago. Started as a steel mill. Later became the birthplace of American neoconservatism. Well, Felix, I mean, you know, when we met, you lived in New York. Now you live in Los Angeles. Uh, do, you feel, do, you, do you feel something to be back here in God's country? Um, I- yeah, no, I mean... Uh, Second I get back here, uh, I feel a change. I start remembering, uh, hey, the Blues Brothers actually are really funny. (laughs) It's really funny when they go up there and they play the harmonica and there are no jokes. They drive a car. Oh my God, that part's amazing. They're friends with a nun. That is wild. the, The Blues Brothers were around for 20 years. They had a sequel, Blues Brothers, and they never told a single joke. And they convinced all of us, no, this is hilarious. Look at them. They're wearing sunglasses. Okay, so the Blues Brothers fucking suck. Um, <laughs> it's the, jo- the central joke is, like, these two fat Albanians are, like, better at the blues than, like, any black person who's ever lived. No, the point of the Blues Brothers, it's not about jokes. It's about the music. And it's about legendary artists like Cab Calloway, Aretha Franklin, and Ray Charles coming together to crown... The th- give, the, give the throne of blues to Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi. Right. So, like, in the fucking movies, it, every, the cast is, like, Aretha Franklin, Cab Calloway, all these... Um, John other, Lee Hooker. John Lee Hooker. All these other guys that, like, if I actually cared about blues outside of the structure of this joke, I would care about. But, like, I, I would... If I was, like, Cab Calloway and they asked me to be in that movie, I would spit on them. But we're here in Chicago. We're here in Chicago. So we got a dynamite reading series about Chicago's own President Barack Obama. The, the O-Bungler. You know, this is... This Barf is Chica- sack O-Crumbo himself. It says he's, he's, a, he's a Chicago guy. You know, there's no, there's no he's guy... He's your fault. <laughs> he is your fault. There is no man on the planet more Chicago than Barack Obama. And po- possibly also Hawaii. And California, and, and California, and Indonesia. And All right, so like, I, without further ado, I, this is 
One of the most embarrassing things I've ever read. This is in Esquire magazine. This is Obama's f f like former chief speechwriter. Headline, how Barack Obama's love of jazz changed my life. Oh my that makes God. sense. No, no, you're making fun, but that makes sense because it's about the major pieces of progressive legislation that you don't pass. This article, just going by the title, this sounds like what they would use for like modern clockwork orange training. <laughs> well, what's this guy's name? This guy's name is Cody Keenan. Cody Keenan. <laughs> I think he looks like current John Favreau. Like chef era John Favreau, which is funny because the other major speechwriter yeah, yeah. is John Favreau. John Favreau. This guy's surrounded by John Favreaus. All right, Cody writes. I never expected President Obama to teach me life lessons through music. You didn't expect- Why would you? You, you didn't expect that? That's an insane <laughs> thing to expect. I can't, wait, I can't wait for the president I work for to give me life lessons through music. Maybe I shouldn't have been surprised. After all, he brushed his shoulder off on the campaign trail by the way, does anyone remember that? <laughs> yeah. Does anyone remember that? he did that and everyone went crazy for it? He was talking about, oh, the Republicans, oh, they say I'm not good. And they tried to do the shoulder off, you know, like the move, but he went like this. And everyone still like, they collectively, like, we're all going to pretend that was normal because you're literally all we have. He, um, this guy's writing style, he talks like a character summing up the plot at the end of a sitcom episode. Wow, I never thought that President Barack Obama would come into my life and teach me through jazz. After all, he brushed his shoulder off on the campaign trail, opened the doors of the White House to Common and Kendrick Lamar. Common? <laughs> <laughs> the hip-hop barbecue, you guys remember oh that God. one? Yeah, no, Common, the godfather of drill. <laughs> Enlisted a host of hip-hop stars to help with policy initiatives. If he did, that's a terrible idea. <laughs> and appointed Janelle Monet, Jennifer Hudson, and Mary J. Blige as temporary diplomats on stage at state dinners. Stevie Wonder, Usher, and Prince played his birthday parties until the sun came up. He just likes famous people. That's all you're describing. He's Game Master Anthony with a nuclear arsenal. Okay, ready for this? Even so, in our quieter moments... He dropped knowledge with a language mm. foreign to me, jazz. <laughs> Ooh. In 2013, the year Obama named me his chief speechwriter, he was slated to speak, speak at the Lincoln Memorial 50 years to the day that Martin Luther King Jr., from the same spot, told the country about his dream. If there was ever a speech in which he was set up to fail, this was it. Publicly, he expressed humility. Well, first of all, let's stipulate that my speech will not be as good, he'd laugh. Behind closed doors, it was a different story. A week before the speech, I went to the Oval Office with Kyle O'Connor, a 27-year-old writer on my team, to see if we could shake any ideas loose from the president. Look, Obama said, the truth is, I don't want to be doing this. I'd rather be hanging out with my girls or playing golf or drinking a martini. He means Danity Kane. <laughs> I would uh, rather be in uh, the back of a limousine. Or <laughs> uh, eating a Congress spaniel. And they say you're not American, I joked. He'd let loose with a genuine laugh. But he could tell that we were frustrated. It was our job to draft something he could play with. That's how our collaboration with Obama worked. But for a speech as high profile as this, 
We hope that someone who famously described himself on the 2008 campaign as a better speechwriter than my speechwriters, almost always true, always an eye-rolling reminder, might at least offer us a starting point. Tell you what, Obama said, read James Baldwin when you're stuck. Listen to John Coltrane when you're not. Then he disappeared to take a phone call. <laughs> oh, uh, he was talking to, like, Dr. Luke. <laughs> In the moment, his advice felt as useful as throwing a drowning man a sandwich. But I had to admit, it kind of worked. There was an effortless cool to Coltrane's free jazz that lent uh, me the sense uh, <laughs> that, I, that uh, I knew... <laughs> God damn it. This is exactly... There are a few, you know, it's a truism in life that, like, nothing's ever as bad as you expect it to be. And that's usually, usually true, you know? Like, oh, your uh, distant relative has a gross growth on her neck. You see it. It's not as bad as you think. You can get through dinner. But this is exactly as bad as I thought it would be, if not worse. There was an effortless cool to Coltrane's free jazz that lent me the sense that I knew what I was doing. A secret language coming from his saxophone that entered my ears and exited my fingers Ugh. that made me type faster, that fueled the sense of flow. Oh, there's something else I want to enter and leave your body. <laughs> Baldwin was harder. His writing was something you had to commit to, but his moral clarity and righteous anger cut through the bullshit like a laser through butter. Baldwin was an inspiration to write what was true. <laughs> A yeah, laser see, through what? See, this is a perfect thing. This is a great example of how not to write. So he's got hot knife through butter, but he doesn't want that because it's a cliche. So it's like, well, what can I do instead of the knife? Well, what about a laser? But that raises in the mind of the reader, why is a laser going through butter? Why would that ever happen? Obama didn't hire a single good person for their job. It's amazing. Like... You would think for speeches, like the one thing that he, was, he, he prided himself on. But no, it's this guy. Uh, on the day of the speech, he adopted a preacher's cadence for the homage to King's peroration that he'd added to the ending, uh, that he added to the ending the night before, promising that someday, if we kept it, those mountains will be made low and those rough paces will be made plain and those crooked places, they'll straight, straighten out towards grace. They did a big-ass <laughs> wink. <laughs> that lesson about Coltrane and Baldwin changed the way I write. Another changed the way I live. Oh. Uh, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit, but uh, like, you know, he's another meeting in the Oval Office with Barack Obama. He says, the president wasn't in the Oval Office. He's having lunch and wants you to join him, Ferial said. That was unusual. I crossed the empty oval, mentally preparing myself for an all-night re rewrite thinking through all the meetings I'd have to convene to come up with new policies. I'd entered the small hallway of his private sanctum, passing his bathroom on the right and his study stuffed with family photos and a computer on the left. Yeah, the family photos and a photo of the, the, photo of the limo. The <laughs> <laughs> photo of the backseat of the limo. I, I, I want to add just, like, no one remembers this fucking speech. <laughs> no! No! Nobody I have no idea what this. I've never heard anyone talk he's, about he it. He spoke in Washington on the I fifty. I had no idea that happened. Yeah. Even like the biggest Obama fans don't put this in their yeah. top thirty. No. Uh, so yeah, um, and poked my head into the small dining room at the end of the hall where Obama was sitting alone at the head of a six-seat table under a brass chandelier. God, what a depressing mental. What a depressing uh. image. 
<laughs> you're sitting at the end of this long, grand table that's used for state dinners, and you're just like at the head of it, just alone, tucking into like some lean cuisine or something. <laughs> yeah. Just sitting in complete silence, probably there for hours, fantasizing about when this is done and he gets to, like, play Baccarat with uh, Neil Patrick Harris. What he actually wants to do. Across the table from me, Muhammad Ali's boxing gloves, signed for Obama, sat on a buffet table under The Peacemakers, a painting of Lincoln and his generals strategizing at the end of the Civil War. Hey, he said, crunching on some baby carrots. Uh. It's just got a whole lot more depressing. God damn, baby carrot? He, oh, God, he was like the first pro-Ana president. <laughs> baby carrots, they have zero adrenochrome. That's only actual human babies. Does he not get that? <laughs> hey, he said, crunching on some baby carrots, sit down. Now I felt truly screwed. So, he said, picking up his knife to cut a piece of chicken, how you doing? I'm fine, sir, I replied, screaming internally. Oh, my God, just tell me if the speech is okay. Look, I think the speech is in the best shape one of these has ever been a week out. Everything in my body relaxed. I actually think I could deliver this as is. I tensed up again. When he said that, he never meant it. But we have a week, so let's make it even better. Here's the thing. Everything is in here, he continued, tapping the draft of the State of the Union address on the table with his right middle finger. God, this guy's perfect recall for every fucking nice thing Obama ever did to him. Every sentence says something. Every word means something. That's this a high standard. a high standard so. for I would fucking right hope so. This is a great speech. The sentences have subjects and verbs. There's punctuation involved? <laughs> Raising his hand palm down as if he were showing... Wait a minute, this is in wingdings. <laughs> Raising his hand palm down as if he were showing how tall you must be to ride this ride. <laughs> he added, the entire speech is up here at 10. He pushed his hand down. I need some of it down here at 6, 7, 8. You following me? What? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I, I need it to be worse. <laughs> Your speech is good. It needs to sh suck. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing about the State of the Union address. Everything is, everything is in there. My mind was always coming up for next topics I could excise and which cabinet agencies would complain the loudest about finding themselves on the cutting room floor. Obama took a swig of unsweetened iced tea. <laughs> oh, fuck. This whole... This... I, I, I will not rest until my rib cage is visible, standing up. <laughs> this whole, whole sequence is written as if the next line is going to be, like in a thriller, like Obama stood up, stood behind me, and put one bullet in the back of my head. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine if your last meal was fucking baby carrots, fucking a chicken breast, <laughs> unsweetened Ooh. iced tea. Oh, <laughs> God. Brutal. He's the fucking president. He can tell the chef to make him anything. Do you remember? Do you guys remember the seven almonds? <laughs> no, what was yep. that? The, uh, there was a detail about like Obama's personal life in the uh, White House sometime in the second term that included the detail that for a treat late at night, President Obama has seven almonds <laughs> before he goes to bed. God, God, yeah, he eats like a really evil woman in New York. <laughs> <laughs> I, told, I told him that my IUD was in, but it was not. I've been acting hornier ever since they put, get, put the hormonal IUD in. I think I'm going to leave a comment under my burner account telling my best friend that she looks like she's gained weight. 
<laughs> Ob- okay, so Obama took a swig of unsweetened iced tea, sat forward, and placed his elbows on the table, hands clasped together, to make clear that I was not following him. Let me put it another way. With his right index finger, he pointed at me. You listen to Miles Davis? Uh, <laughs> shut up! Holy fuck. I wondered if this was the test to see if I'd followed Coltrane down the rabbit hole, but I fessed up and said no. You know what they say about Miles Davis? I did not. It's the notes you don't play, he said. Fucking God. I didn't, hear, I didn't know that was in there. I, oh. Motherfucker. God damn it. Oh. Shut the fuck up, Barack Obama. <laughs> how, how could you handle listening to such banality come from a person who could kill everyone on earth if they oh. wanted to? This is like copy taken from a Lincoln commercial. Oh my God, dullest fucking person to ever live. God damn it. You just imagine him, yeah, like he's watching, he's watching Super Bowl ads like this. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Uh, that, that, that's, that, uh, that's a deep truth. Yeah, he cried during the Matthew McConaughey ad. <laughs> it's the notes you don't play. Shut the fuck up! <laughs> he said, sitting back in the chair. If anyone tells you that... You should tell them to shut the fuck up. (laughs) He said, sitting back in his chair, it's the silences. That's what made him so good. Silence can say more than noise can. I need a speech with some pauses and some quiet moments because they say something too. You feel me? (laughs) Wait a minute. You mean punctuation? It's already in there, dude. There are already private moments. There are already quiet moments. Just stop talking. That's a quiet moment. You want him to write in there, pause? That part's amazing. I love the pause that he does before you feel me because it means that he was like, before this, he was watching like interviews with like, I guess like Swiss Beats and heard him say that and was like, oh, I'm going to try that one. I guess I'll, I'll try that on like a, a low confidence person like this speechwriter. <laughs> and then if I feel like I did well enough, I can try it on like Chrissy Teigen later. And, and if they all enjoy, if they enjoy it, I, I could reward myself with a single walnut later in the evening. <laughs> uh, it looks like my macros are on track to have a macadamia by Christmas. <laughs> He goes on for a long time talking about how the lesson of finding the silences became very important to him because, in his words, he had too many work streams Uh. and he needed to work in some silence. So I'm just going to close out this uh, this essay here. It says, in 2020, my wife and I had our first child in pandemic-ravaged New York City, a daughter we named Grace, and I began to expand these blocks of time. It was, hard as, it was hard at first, something I had to commit myself to. You know phone addiction is real, for example, when you leave it in another room on purpose so that you can just be with your child and find yourself digging in your pocket anyway. Finding the silences still requires effort. It's still not a ritual, not ingrained in my habits, to announce the silences. My calendar and reminder apps still have to make some noise. But if there's any alert I welcome, it's the one that instructs me to whisk Gracie to the playground at the golden hour, maybe with Coltrane playing my favorite things from the back of the stroller. The only activity I know that seems to bend time until impossibly it expands. Congratulations. Uh, Gracie will one day remove you from life support without a thought. <laughs> without a fucking blink. Can we, can we give Gracie, like, the Alien Gonzalez treatment? Like, can we rescue her and send her to Cuba? 
All right, that was uh, that was Obama we, and we, his jazz man. Drink you right up, pop your top off when I'm driving my truck. Drink 30 Bud Lights for I got behind the wheel. But girl, I'm only swerving because the way you make me feel. <laughs> Let's get this money. Keep it going for LA Witch. All right, for the, uh, the second act of the show, let's just jump right into it. We are going to be taking a whirlwind tour of the book that is tearing up political discourse in this country. Folks, if you are a news addict, if you're an article junkie, th this book has probably angered you a great deal. I'm talking, of course, about Maggie Haberman's new book on the Trump, uh, Donald Trump the man and Donald Trump the administration. Our crack research team has distilled this 600-page book into only the most choice gems. Because here's the thing. A lot of people were mad at this book because Maggie was supposedly sitting on all of these amazing scoops uh, and that she'd save them for her book rather than publish them in the pages of the New York Times. Folks, I've now, we've now gone through this book and there's no fucking news in this book at all. <laughs> There's nothing newsworthy, let alone anything that would have taken down the Trump administration. However, what it does have are a wealth of amazing anecdotes about the funniest man who's ever lived, Donald J. Trump. And to help us break down the life and career of our former president, well, actually, our still our president, Donald J. Trump, without further ado, the man needs no introduction, Tim Heidecker in the house tonight. Great show, long show. <laughs> Feel good to be back at the uh, theater at the Ace Hotel, Tim? Yeah, I was, uh, I was just remarking to you guys, uh, the last time I was on this stage uh, was in March 6th, 2020. Mm. <laughs> um, we were on tour, and we had done, uh, written this tour uh, in 2019. Well, the last 20 minutes of the show was a bit where it was called, uh, it was Dr. Wareheim, and I was uh, the patient, and I was getting this medical exam on stage, and I was quite nude, except for the parts that make you nude. Um, and it was discovered that I have a disease that is contagious, <laughs> and was spreading throughout the room, and there was a, that we were going to have to quarantine the theater, and that there was going to be a, a vaccine provided. I swear to fucking God, we wrote all this shit before uh, COVID. What did he know? And, and we did, the, it, was, it, it went well through the whole tour, but then like the last week of the tour, it wasn't funny anymore. <laughs> and right here that we did that bit and it was like there were groans there were like and people and i i mean i just uh, the, the next literally like two days later the world ended for a while um so it's good to be back uh. <laughs> <coughs> we're doing great <laughs> um, right, i'm well, wrong here there, there's a wealth of information to get to in this. Uh, not useful information, but very funny information in this book. <laughs> I will just say, like, there are three major takeaways from the portrait of Donald Trump that emerges in Maggie Haberman's new book, The Confidence Man. 
Number one, Trump loves movies. Who doesn't, folks? Silver screen, we love it. Number two. Are you going to do the Trump impression or should I? <laughs> we are, we're all going to do our Trump yeah, impression. We're all going to do our bad Whatever Trump impression. I, I, I will not be doing that. <laughs> Actually, I, I have a Mick Mulvaney impression I've been working on. <laughs> For the people who really read the articles. <laughs> we should do a uh, hats versus no hats. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Shirts and skins. Takeaway number two from the book. Trump has a perverse fascination with and admiration for Jewish people. And takeaway number three, he is still the funniest human being who has ever lived. Let's, let's dive right into this. Okay. The first one is about film school. Reading from the book. On that crisp November morning, Trump was a freshman at Fordham University in the Bronx. The school, a Jesuit college, was not considered an elite academic institution, had not been his first choice. Trump would ultimately brag about attending the University of Pennsylvania's Wharton School of Business, but he had toyed with studying film at the University of Southern California. <laughs> oh, wow. Trump has, told, Trump has told people privately over the years that his father did not want him to do so, preferring that he join him in the family business. He insisted otherwise when I asked him about it. He was never much involved in that because I never really told him about that. He told me. And it was early on, but I've always loved the motion picture. I'm glad I didn't do it. He would have been a film brat. <laughs> I like Kundun. <laughs> Kundun. Just think about, like, this is, a, you know, Matt, hinge points. This is a real hinge yeah, point in world history. If he'd been a director. What if Donald Trump had gone to film some school? Amazing films. <laughs> some wonderful movies. Trying to think of what his, uh, what his filmography would have been. Like, what movies got made that he would have directed. Uh, definitely Bloodsport, obviously. Is that the one where he would just fast forward? Yeah, the one. And, yeah. and the version that the he... Fight scenes. The version he would have made would have been better because it would have been all fight scenes. <laughs> The Caddyshack, but just the funny parts. Yes. No story. <laughs> just the gopher. What do we need the rest of these guys? Just what's the gopher doing? The, every time you got Chevy Chase, you got Dangerfield, I'm wondering, what's the gopher up to? Make a movie about the gopher. What about just we focus more on the Ted Knight character? Because I, that, that seems to, that's the sympathetic character, right? I'd like to see him sentence someone to death. <laughs> I think that his director's signature would be like two people switching races. Oh, Soul Man. Soul yeah. Man. Soul yeah. Man. Yeah, he would have made an earlier and probably much more poignant version of that movie. He, well, uh, Trump did not go to film school, but he did have a blast at college. Uh, reading from the book. Trump left only scattered impressions on classmates. One recalled Trump somehow managing to avoid paying the Triborough Bridges 25 cent toll and leaving it to a friend with considerably less economic means to pay each time. <laughs> Another recalled Trump's focus on other students' ethnic backgrounds. He complained to me on one of our rides to school that there were too many Italian and Irish students at Fordham. <laughs> he wanted me to know that I was excluded from that comment, a schoolmate with the Irish last name Fitzgibbon recalled. <laughs> Fucking Irish monkeys. That's fine, but like too many at Fordham? That's the whole point. Yeah. yeah. That is the, that's like the, the filter that catches all the Irish and Italian people <laughs> in New York City. <laughs> Like, hey, can your kid, which one of your kids can read? We're sending them to Fordham. The rest get to be cops and priests. This Tisch program, we need less of the Scorseses. Okay. 
so he may have not, he may have, uh, not liked all the Irish and Italians around him, but that didn't stop him from lying about his ethnic background. Quote, she watched Trump at the 21 Club, a favorite Roy Cohn spot, where Trump talked to two men whose Jewish hospital was about to honor Trump as its man of the year. I'm not even Jewish. I'm Swedish. <laughs> what? No, yes. Oh, yeah. Not. This is, he's, he's lied about this a ton. Like, he's, um, he's claimed to be Swedish repeatedly and, like, sort of a throwback to the 19... 19- Tens like lied about being German. Like he claims his family. Yeah, is not exactly. The same thing. Like, oh no, yeah, no, yeah, no Kaiser lovers in my household. Certainly, <laughs> Fred Trump actually like he donated to a shitload of Jewish charities and like early Zionist causes specifically because he was afraid of the anti-German stigma. That's very funny. Uh, going on, it says Trump explained to the reporter. Most people think my family is Jewish because we own so many buildings in Brooklyn. <laughs> but I guess you don't have to be Jewish to win this award because they told me a Gentile won it one other year. Trump was neither Jewish nor Swedish. Fred Trump, a first-generation American born to German parents, had developed the habit of telling people the family was Swedish because they had so many Jewish tenants, and after World War II, he did not want to repel them. <laughs> Just... Friendly Swedes here, don't worry about it. <laughs> I don't think it's, like, possible for a Swede to be fat in that way, you know? like <laughs> That's true. Yeah, Swedes are usually, like, pretty, pretty slim, but when they get fat, they get fat like a fat person in a children's book, you know? <laughs> They're very, like, round and jolly. Not the horrible American fat where it just goes in whatever direction. This is very funny because it's not like he needed to do like 23andMe shit or like have Henry Louis Gates lead him through his... Uh, <laughs> oh, his, God, like, that's got to happen, right? <laughs> He's got to... <laughs> You're telling me... Finds out You're wrong. His, that's not... No, no. <laughs> he finds out about his great-great-grandmother, Typhoid Mary. He's like, well, are you telling me this for the first time? <laughs> she had an amazing life. But he's she, actually she like... killed a lot of people. He's the least American president since Martin Van Buren. Like, it's like his, his dad's a first generation. Like his, his dad was from Germany. And then his mother is just off the boat from Scotland. He's like barely American at all. The Scots are the worst. Really? Seriously. <laughs> oh, my God. Get him out of here. The worst part about them is like, yeah, they were t- they were terrible. They were like the overseer for the British yep, Empire. Yeah, yeah. And then the like in the last like sixty years, they're like we're basically slaves too. Yeah. They like invented all the guns and shit that they used to overpower the rest of the globe. They were like they were they were the orcs in Isengard who were like figuring out how to make bombs, and now they're like, oh yeah, man, that sucks. Let's uh. Let's not beat up on the guy. He was diagnosed with terminal cancer today. Did you see that in the news? What? 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 I'm just kidding. I don't know. <laughs> uh, so, like, uh, a lot of the book focuses on Trump's He has to have some form of <laughs> he cancer, He should, right? of course, unless he is. It exists in his body right now. The only, the only way to make sense of it is, is not that... I like that... the sh- hushed tone of this crowd. <laughs> like, <laughs> Why would that be the moment I took things real? Like, why would I... You guys took me for granted. took me uh, at face value there. Very strange. You're getting tired, aren't you? Man, his age and size and diet, he should have, like, 50 tumors in him jockeying for position. The only thing that makes sense is that he is himself just a sentient tumor. (laughs) Uh, I I mean, I do think that, like, cancer is completely random. 
I mean, that's like all, all the contradictory studies that are like, oh, you know, eggs are good, eggs are bad. Um, no, it just, it's completely random. Your number's your number, and it matters what your ancestors did. That's what determines I disagree. If you get I, I disagree. L- Linda McCartney was a terrible person. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of the book focuses on his relationship with uh, Roy Cohn. And a lot of the, uh, the peculiar... Ha- like he sort of fashioned himself after Roy Cohn, who was an early mentor of his. And he borrowed a lot from him, like uh, dying of AIDS. <laughs> uh, no, <it> was, <laughs> Imagine, uh, like, Don Jr. trying to deal with the fallout if he just randomly died of AIDS. Guys, guys, it's, guys, uh, you, uh, it's, guys, you, you don't understand. That's my, that's my <laughs> Don Jr. <laughs> <laughs> no, but this is what... He, he adopted the 21 Club because Roy Cohn liked it, but he also adopted another of Cohn's habits, plucking food from the plate of his dining companion. Okay, let's hear him out. <laughs> I know, I, that's kind of... A, <laughs> you're, you're this motherfucker he, right he here. He does do that, yeah. No. You Most. said porking food? Plucking. Uh, plucking. 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 I said porking food. <laughs> <laughs> Donald, Donald Trump fucked food when he was in college. <laughs> I love it so much. <laughs> this one seems weird to me, like for a germaphobe. I'm, I'm yeah, questioning the sourcing point. on here. You think you wouldn't want to touch somebody else's Well, no, he, he wants to spread his germs to other people. Uh, he just doesn't yeah. want that. Okay. You know, but like he does what you do, Matt. When the food first arrives, before the, anyone's got, fucked it up with their germs, you just grab. You just yeah. grab french yeah. fries. But that's a power move. Matt's, Matt's an alpha male. Exactly. I'm, a, I'm just assessing, do, I'm assessing dominance. This is what beta boys say when they can't handle an alpha just grabbing their french fries. Right, here's another little tidbit. T- Trump was seated next to Tony Glidman's wife. And Tony, across, Glidman. <laughs> Tony Glidman. <laughs> Tony Glidman. Tony <laughs> Glidman. He was seated next to Tony Glidman's wife and across the table from Ivana at a charity dinner in the late 80s when the conversation somehow turned to Brazilian women. Mm-hmm. As it does. They have so much pussy hair, Trump said abruptly. <laughs> what? <laughs> Talk about a guy that doesn't know anything. <laughs> How much pussy hair do they have? Send well, out cable. When, when was this said? Because if he said this in like 1972, maybe it like got back to them. Yeah. <laughs> Folks. The guy who's always on the cover of the New York Post says that our pussy game is out of control. We need to get this shit in charge. And then someone just invents the laser. Yeah. It was the last thing ever invented in Brazil. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, maybe, maybe because of his mentor, Roy Cohn, uh, speaking of germaphobe, Trump had a like, ridiculous fear of HIV AIDS in the 80s New York. So listen to this. A country that was slow to react moved to action as the disease suddenly began impacting celebrities and heterosexuals. Mm-hmm. President Ronald Reagan made his first public reference to AIDS in 1985, years after it had become an epidemic. And by which time, panic about the virus was everywhere. Trump was plainly terrified of the disease, which seemed to elevate his fear of germs and illness to an almost pathological level. He told one friend after another that he wore two condoms to protect himself. <laughs> and he announced publicly that there would re- that he would require prospective dates to take an AIDS test. It's one way to be careful. There are a lot of ways, he told an interviewer. I'm saying, take all those ways and double them because you will need them. <laughs> oh my Could you imagine just like the, the, like the latex fabric, like a curtain being draped off two condoms trying to hang off his dick? <laughs> Two condoms, like, for a guy who it would, already... It would look like this. Like, 
this drapery here. Two condoms for a guy who already doesn't really like heterosexual sex. <laughs> he's like, like, I don't think he's a gay man, but he is. No, there's like an asexual he, yeah, quality exactly, to yeah. him. He doesn't really care. Yeah, two condoms is like, you may as well just fuck a couch cushion. One of those condoms isn't staying on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you really like right, her. Right, ladies? <laughs> <laughs> uh, just like uh, another another take on uh, his his HIV paranoia. Uh, two years after Cohn's death, Trump gave the commencement speech at Lehigh University in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, a rolling campus with a sprawling sports complex and his brother's Fre- and his brother Freddie's alma mater. Upon collecting an honorary degree, Trump shared his wisdom with the class of 1988. I could stand up here and talk for 20 minutes about how important the parents of the graduates are, Trump said, but I think we all know that. I really want to talk a little bit about the negative and the obstacles. <laughs> the obstacles in your way, in my way. And you're going in and you're really one of the earliest groups to go into class, into a class of this world and get out of here and fight a new obstacle, one which just came on board and one which is probably going to be by the time it finishes, one of the great disasters, and that's AIDS. <laughs> Oh Jesus! <laughs> Could you imagine? Like you're seeing, like this is like you're, the moment of a parent as a parent you've been waiting for to see your child graduate college, and then they bring out you know <laughs> Dean Rodney Dangerfield to just go. I'd, I'd, lo- I'd love to talk about your kids and you know the, you're proud of the world, but let's let's really talk about what we're all thinking about AIDS and how it's going to kill all of us. I think if I, I, I can imagine if I got this book, Maggie Haberman's book. Maggie Haberman. I, I'd get a Maggie Haberman. Haberman. I would get the, like a third of the way through and go, okay. That would be it. Like, <laughs> I get it. I get it. Oh, this guy. He's yeah. pretty, uh, pretty dumb and uh, he's kind of an asshole. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Fascinating. I, I, wonder, I wonder what happened. Let me look him. at the pictures yeah. in the middle. Uh, this is the next one about one of his uh, one of the few books he has read or at least claimed Mind to have Kampf. read. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's kind of impressive if he actually did get all the way through Mind Kampf because it <laughs> it's not a peach read. No, it's Hitler's like not a very good writer. Yeah, they're very bad. Yeah, he has trouble like stringing ideas together in a fluid <laughs> motion. <laughs> Even as Trump eagerly, await, eagerly asked aides to relay information. AIDS. <laughs> Did he stop doing the food thing because of AIDS? I think so. Robert Caro would have gotten that detail. So uh, it says uh, he had never shown much interest in books. A cabinet next to his bedside contained a book that Ivana later said she saw him occasionally leafing through. An anthology of Adolf Hitler's speeches called My New Order. It was my friend Marty Davis from Paramount who gave me a copy of Mein Kampf, and he's a Jew. <laughs> Trump claimed when pressed, by, 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 when pressed about it by journalist Marie Brenner. Davis, however, said that he was not Jewish and gave Trump the book My New Order because he thought he would find it interesting. <laughs> okay, so it's not even Mein Kampf. I thought it was about the band. <laughs> 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 wow, all, they really didn't like each other. Tell all memoir. <laughs> all right, here is a here is a very funny story about the birth of his daughter Tiffany Trump, the forgotten Trump child, which I think is a goddamn disgrace. Let's get some love for Tiffany. Great Trump. music, great music. <laughs> yeah, great musician. She's a musician. Yeah, you you know you haven't heard the ch- Tiffany. Get that fucking <laughs> Tiffany Trump song up. Have you not heard no, the I Tiffany haven't. Trump song? It's very good. <laughs> 
Trump and Maples had finally wed in December 1993, two months after the birth of their daughter Tiffany. Trump had been pushed to let a friendly gossip columnist who was under pressure from her boss crash the delivery room for an exclusive. At first saying no, but then relenting when she said she would get fired if she did not deliver the story. What is she doing here? The columnist Linda Stasi recalled Maples asking. I'm here because I want to see the baby, Stasi said. It's okay. Her boss would have fired her, Trump told his wife. When Maples protested having a photo taken, Trump took Stasi into the hallway, picked up a handful of receiving blankets, crafted them into a semblance of a covered child that he held in the crook of his arm, and told her photographer to take the picture. Nobody will know, he said, of the faked baby. Stasi let the photo be taken, but declined to publish it. <laughs> Which is a fucking, that is a journalistic malpractice. <laughs> I want to see the picture of Trump holding a bouquet of barber hair that he's calling people his children. Hey, you know how they uh, named uh, their son, their latest son? the, the Baron. Uh, yeah. Uh, that's what uh, Trump thought Melania was. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't what I paid for. <laughs> I should get that Daily Show job. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that hard. No, not at all. Thank you. Uh, so more about Trump and his affection for the, uh, the Jewish faith. Trump almost instantly regretted the price he had negotiated to keep going on with the show. During one phone call, he told... What show? <laughs> I forget, I don't know, I don't the Apprentice. Know, the Apprentice, right, yeah. Right. During one phone the show, call, Life. <laughs> <laughs> he told Graboff he had fired his William Morris-based agent because he writes a bad deal, as he put it. He didn't make the deal. You, you made the deal, Graboff reminded him. Trump then asked, don't you think it would be good for me to hire a Jewish agent? Graboff advised him to hire an expert in the field, regardless of his religion. Well, I'm going to hire a Jewish agent, Trump insisted. <laughs> he ended up with Steve Smoke at Creative Artists Agency and later Ari Emanuel. <laughs> ah. those, are some, those are some Jewish guys. He, he has the best kind of anti-Semitism where he's like, yes, the Jews control everything. You want to get one in your corner, which is, <laughs> yeah. that's actually what, in, during, uh, when the Axis was being created, the, the Germans were in negotiations with the Japanese and the, the Germans said, yeah, like, yeah, you know the Jews are in charge of the world, right? And they gave them, they gave the Japanese government uh, uh, protocols of the elders' design. They're like, check this shit out. And the, and the Japanese read it, and Somebody they were like... Somebody cheer that? Somebody cheer that. <laughs> Escort them into yeah, the fucking here. street. Get out of here. Give them the casino treatment. Uh, but the Japanese, <laughs> they read this, and they're like, okay, we got to get some of these Jews into fucking Japan. <laughs> <laughs> these, guys, these guys are getting stacks. Crafty fellows. They're yeah. fucking crafty. They know what's good. We're, we're fighting for our life over here. We got no oil. We got no steel. We're fucked. We got to get those, uh, some Jews in here. And he's basically that. He's like, look, the Jews, they run everything. They got all the money. I need to get him on my side. <laughs> the, Japanese, the Japanese got so into Jews after they read those copies of Protocols. There's a Pokemon called Gollum. <laughs> like, they, they, there really is. They got so into the lore that they're like, oh, like, they, they have their favorite Jewish monsters and, and side characters that most people don't even know. The, Dib I wonder if, the Dibbic? They're big Dibbic fans over oh in Japan? Yeah. I wonder if the Japanese were kind of looking at Hitler and be like, this shit is so fucked up, it's kind of crazy and cool. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this is a quick one. This is about uh, Trump and his relationship with uh, former New York City mayor Rudy Giuliani. <laughs> Flying on Trump's private plane in the final weeks, Trump loudly complained about the odor after Giuliani had oh, used Jesus. one of the plane's bathrooms. 
so loudly that other aides could hear. Rudy, that's fucking disgusting, he bellowed. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> smells worse than my shit. <laughs> oh, my God. Can you imagine what his shit smells? All those Bloody Marys oh, processing through his body. Oh, oh. So many Big Mac patties <laughs> put in a blender. I, I feel confident saying, though, that Rudy Giuliani smells objectively worse than Donald Trump at this point. I mean, the cigars alone. Well, yeah, like, equally shitty diet. They probably eat exactly the same, but Rudy's, like, always drunk by 10. Right. You know? <laughs> and Trump's a teetotaler. Yeah. And I don't think he smokes either. So you got Rudy there. He's got, like, the, the, the steak shits. And they just, like, got fucking bourbon coming out of his pores and fucking Cohibas. Those are Very wet. Potent. Those are wet shits. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, it probably looks like someone melted like a gallon of baby roofs. <laughs> just eating through the bottom of the fuselage of the plane. Uh, I'll just say this one's real quick because it's of personal interest to me. Let's see if you can guess why. In a meeting with Pence, Jason Miller. Mm. And other aides when Miller visited the White House early in the administration, Trump turned to Pence and said that Miller likes the ladies and added, you know how sometimes someone turns out to be gay later and you knew? This guy, he isn't even 1% gay. (laughs) (laughs) And folks, folks, as someone who was uh, made party to a $100 million libel suit over just how much Jason Miller likes pussy, I gotta say, I, I feel vindicated by this. All right. <laughs> Not even 1%? Uh, yeah, the gay guy wouldn't even know to buy Plan B, much less make the smoothie. <laughs> Allegedly. Allegedly. Allegedly.
a real pleasure to be here. It's a big deal for us. It is. We don't get to make it to Manhattan a lot, so this is nice. It's good. We tried to go to the Hard Rock Cafe for dinner, but it was bussing in there, let me tell you. It was a lot. We got, I got a picture, though, with um, Mick Jagger's vest. So you can take that to the bank. All right, gang, keep it going for 95 bulls. Yes. 95 bulls. They fucking tread. My God. They got a, they got a sort of a, a fun, fresh sound. I think they, <laughs> they have it, folks. They have it. And I'm hereby dedicating myself to becoming the Colonel Tom Parker for 95 Bulls. So if they're not fat as shit, strung out on pills and doing Christmas specials in six months, you'll know I've failed. New York City, it's great to be here. I gotta say, this is our third show on this tour. We did one show in Chicago, one in Los Angeles. And I gotta say, the folks in those cities were claiming, were claiming to me that they were in fact the number one city in the world. New York City, are they right? That's right, New York City, the home of 9-11. The place where dreams are made of. Big lights will inspire you. Let's go, Yankees. Where else could you get a nice 9-11 slice? <laughs> I got tricked into going into a new Equinox location that turns out is not an Equinox at all. That's right. I got used as a human comrade in the new Dime Square Equinox. <laughs> So this is, a, this is a big deal for us. I think this is a, officially our biggest live show ever right here on Broadway. We're here on Chop, Chopo has finally made it to Broadway. Uh, proving the lie to that old adage, how do you get to Carnegie Hall practice? Please, I haven't tried it this shit for years. <laughs> no, but you know, we're on Broadway tonight, so we're gonna do things a little differently here at the show tonight. Uh, for the next 45 minutes, I will be doing a medley uh, from the original cast recording of Les Mis. So here we go. <laughs> Valjean, at last we see each other plain. Monsieur Le Maire, you wear a different chain. All right, well, let's start the show. We got a lot of shit to get to. And I got to say, you know, I mean, you, you know, there, I've been doing this podcast a while. Uh, it's had some success. That's pretty cool. Probably, I assume half of you in the audience also have your own podcast. And that's, very, and that's very cool. But my message here tonight is, I know sometimes you get discouraging, you build an audience, and you, you wonder, like, you know, does any of this really matter? Well, I gotta say, stay on your grind set. Stay true to yourself, because if you do this long enough, someone important will notice. Chris? Movement is that. They're totally and utterly corrupt. Is anyone on the left pointing this out? Has Cenk Uyghur, Uyghur said a word about it? The so-called radicals at Chapo Trap House? But folks, what's going on here? The podcast elites are going to so-called no-loads-refused, pimped-out, cum-dump events, but are refusing to take the loads they agreed to? They have decided that they alone can refuse loads, whereas you, your dad, your family, they're getting cum-dumped on them all the time. And they're having their loads turned down? Who consented to this? I know I didn't. See, this is more bullshit because we have never refused a load. <laughs> We're on record. No loads refused on Chapo. Well, 
I mean, be that as it may, we have to hit back. And um, I think that I will be hitting back at Mr. Carlson uh, with my new true crime series. <laughs> you want to hear a preview of the next episode on Mr. Carlson? <laughs> Tucker Carlson may not be a member of the Dead Wife Club like Liam Neeson is. Or President Joe Biden. But he's certainly a, son, a, a, a member of the Bad Son Club. It's true. His mom ran away when he yep. was a kid. And that's all we have, because most, <laughs> of, the, most of the research went into our OJ episode. No, it's Tucker, true, though. His mom did he, run away. His, yeah, Tucker Carlson's mom ran away from home when yeah. he was a kid, which is really like... You sucked. She had a bindle created and everything. But unfortunately, she only made it as far as the stoplight in town. She wanted to be queen of the North Pole and get slutted out by Lee Marvin and Keith Carradine. She's got some fans of the movie King of the North Pole here tonight. <laughs> I, ju- I think it's interesting that his mom ran away from home. That is, I mean, I mean, truly reverse on a classic situation. I mean, like a divorce, classically, is not the fault of the kids. But a mom just running away, that's definitely the kid's yeah. fault. Like, this kid just sucks too bad. I got to get out of here. The vibes are off. So, yes, uh, Tucker, for not paying close enough attention to our show, we are inducting you into the bad sons who can't keep a mom club. Oh, I'm sorry. Him and his brother, Buckley Carlson. Just imag- I'm just imagining, like, just sitting in the living room and just looking over, and there's Buckley and Tucker staring at you, like the kids from the Village of the Damned. And then you're like, I got to go out and get some smokes. And then they say in unison, but mother, you don't smoke. Uh, I'm taking it up. And then just a cartoon smoke symbol, just whoop, out of there. But Buckley and Tucker is like, you know, that's a real coin flip. On one hand, if you told me there's a pair of brothers named Buckley and Tucker, it's like, okay, they just, they were born wearing overalls and their favorite thing to do is to stare at hills until the... <laughs> sun goes down, or, you know, they, they, uh, hundreds of millions of dollars. Only options. And they're the latter. Yeah. But that couldn't keep their mom. Couldn't keep the mom around. <laughs> all, those, all those Swanson's dinner fortunes just piling in, and she's still like, I'll, you know what, I'll take my chances on the road. Yeah. Let's get into some pundits. Let's get into some pundits here, and I'd like to share with you now, uh, we, remember, we all remember a uh, good friend of the show, Dennis Prager. Dennis Prager... <laughs> The, the dean of uh, Prager University, the online university uh, that is like, you know, has YouTube videos with millions of, uh, millions of views that are like, I don't know, uh, what Moses can teach us about gay marriage or something like that. <laughs> so, uh, and also, you probably know Dennis, Dennis uh, the best for his not one, but two-part reading series, What to Do When a Woman Isn't in the Mood. I'm sorry, not just a woman, a wife. A wife. Yeah, yeah. what to yeah. do when a wife isn't in the mood. Also known in China as how to train your wife. <laughs> so let's see, let's, let's just see Dennis, what's Dennis up to lately? What's he talking about? There's no secular argument against adult incest. Huh? Brother and sister want to make love. What's your argument? Mm, good that point. they're going to produce mentally retarded offspring? Mm-hmm. It's nonsense. Nonsense. It's many generations of inbreeding. He's making a good point, actually. Uh, now would be the appropriate time of the show to say hi to my sister who's in the audience tonight. <laughs> Lizzie, thanks for coming out to the show. But uh, yeah, so uh, that, that was Dennis' uh, concern. He said there's no, there's no secular argument against adult incest except for mentally retarded babies. <laughs> to which I would say, I mean, like, I don't know if there's an argument against it. It's just, you know, personal taste, I guess. Yeah. 
Now, that, that's not what stopped me from having sex with my sister, was the thoughts of the genetic line. <laughs> what, about, what about power dynamics? <laughs> that's true. Well, if she's a younger sister, that's yeah. no good. Does the left have any good arguments about having sex with a step-sibling, though? What if she's caught in a drive? <laughs> uh, but that's not the only uh, sick and depraved thing that's on Dennis's minds. Um, would you believe that these sexually degenerate sickos are also promoting the genital mutilation of infants? What? In collaboration with a corrupt medical establishment no! that allows them to perpetrate their barbarities? I'm speaking, of course, about circumcision. Yeah. This is, this is Dennis Prager talking to Dave Rubin no, no. about the decision to circumcise his infant. And my overriding feeling about it was that my parents did it, their parents did it, their parents' parents right. did it, and way That's beyond right. that, for something like 5,783 years. 3,000. Uh, uh, <laughs> really this is my favorite part of this yeah. clip. Yeah, that, or 4,000, actually. 4,000, right, the calendar, Abraham, but yeah. we go back to Abraham, okay. But the point is that it's been done for a, a you long, get the long time. Math and I right. felt that that, am I uh, just wiser than everyone that came before me? Oh, God bless you. Oh, that's so the perfect reality. Oh. And that's what they believe. They think they are. Leftists yeah. believe they are the best people oh. who ever lived. Oh. 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 oh, the foreskins. Oh, the foreskins. What a fucking, that's like the perfect reaction to thinking about a baby getting his dick clipped. Oh. Oh, when I think about this going on for, not 5,000, only, only 3,000. Like uh, well, what's 1,000 years between friends when we're cutting up dicks? And like when it comes to like a totally unnecessary. The devil's calamari. <laughs> <laughs> How many of y'all in here are a fan of advice columns? You already know what the fuck time it is. It's time to do some Dear Prudy with our good friends, Davi Baby. Let's bring them on out. Hilarious, by the way. I mean, music is so much better than this. <laughs> the fuck? You assholes little... paid to watch us talk? <laughs> so, okay, so that, was my, that was my initial feeling when Chris was like, hey, what if, yeah. we have, what if you have live music at our podcast shows? And I was like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I do not want to remind people that we're, how untalented yeah, we are. Yeah, yeah. No, they're okay. so much more talented than us, without even okay. question. That's what, I, that's what I used to think, stuff. Yeah, okay. But so, all those songs that you just saw them perform, they knew what they were going to say. Oh, wow. That's a good point. I got 90 <laughs> minutes to fill up here, and I'm like, oh, boy. That's a really I gotta good I got to do a point. different also, show every fucking night. Also, how many of y'all like sitting? That's true. <laughs> Isn't that great? That's a good Can't point. Can't do that in a rock and roll show. Got to stand up. Your back starts hurting. <laughs> yeah. That's where podcasts come in. <laughs> I mean, like, we don't really know how hard music is. Yeah. Most of us haven't tried since we were kids. It's true. <laughs> it could be easy. That's we don't a good know. point. I, That's I a good quit. point. But you, you've all tried being funny with your friends. And you've been reprimanded at work. <laughs> I, you've been disinvited from weddings. <laughs> I quit the saxophone in fifth grade because I couldn't learn how to read music. Oh, wow. <laughs> so it's, I understand music is difficult. Well, you, that, that's but again, you got to stand up. <laughs> that's that's they, value add. That's what they call that in the industry. That's why they put it in that bullshit language. Keep people away from it. Think about how many people are normal dyslexic, and then you have like the weird type that's math dyslexic. That's me. Right here. And, right here. Sure. Fuck um, math. But Fuck math. 
No, I agree. Fuck math, but I'm, I'm coming out <laughs> strong anti-math. Yeah, fuck that shit. Numbers can suck my dick. As far it's as like, I'm concerned, how many, how many, how many of y'all, how many of y'all got told by your teacher you're not gonna have a calculator all the time? Guess what, bitch? Yes, you will. Such a, that's a yes, I do. Checkmate. That's so true. We should do. We're gonna break new comic ground here. How come you learned about uh, cosines and you didn't learn how to pay your taxes or change so, a tire, oh, dude? I like playing drug war on the uh, graphing calculator. That was fun. Anybody do that? Drug Drugs? war, a little TI eighty six action yeah. in the crowd tonight. All right. I used to steal. I used to steal those. And sell them <laughs> people. I used to steal them and spray paint them and, and say, "Oh yeah, I, these are custom calculators." <laughs> and people in Baltimore bought that I, shit. I sold them back to some people I stole them from. Yeah, I, I stole enough calculators to buy a quarter of weed. Now and then and I then started selling that, weed. That's exactly. called business mindset. Honestly, that's called, yeah. gr- that's called yeah. sigma grindset. And then my mom, my mom heard me buying weed on the phone, and I was like, "Mom, it's not." It's not what you think. I'm not selling drugs. It's re- it was really pathetic, but okay. I used my mom's Weight Watcher scale to sell weed. <laughs> I, used my mom's, I was fucking measuring out eighths on that shit. <laughs> From pieces to Weight Watchers. <laughs> okay. All right, well, let's get into it here. I mean, I, from, from the looks of the audience tonight, I think you guys need some advice on your sex life. Y'all do. Mm-hmm. Y'all need some advice on your sex life. So let's jump right into it. Stav, uh, this is a great Dear Pretty question. There's no it. one on earth I would more like to ask advice from on this topic. <laughs> I can't wait. This is from the Slate uh, sex advice column called How to Do It. So dear How to Do It. If you're, if you're asking, you shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine writing to Slate to, to ask how to get pussy. <laughs> <laughs> your, ass is, your ass is logging in. Ah, oh, shit, paywall. God damn it. I got an erection here. What am I supposed to do with it? I'm writing these like mid stroke. <laughs> this is she's, a, she's, she's, like, she's, like, she's like, is it in yet? I'm like, hold on. Yeah. I'm just there, refreshing my Gmail. If there's, what, when I find myself unable to pleasure my woman, I just keep thinking, what would Michael Kinsey do? <laughs> this is you, the, yo, guys, this is a tip for you starting pussy. Right when you get there, start reciting the names of the Slate Cultural Gab Fest hosts. <laughs> <laughs> this is a short question, but a powerful one. I can't wait. Dear How to Do It, my partner and I are both big fans of cum play. Mm-hmm. However, we were both assigned female at birth uh, and incapable bad. of producing the gooey delight ourselves. <laughs> we Darn. have... We have... Okay. We have Hell cum yes. lube, of, of course. course. Of course. Cum lube. We but, all know and love cum lube, don't we? I love that shit. We have cum lube, obviously. Obviously. But is there another substance we can buy or make for edible purposes? Uh, Particularly one... You need to send those bitches to the Kids' Choice Awards, the Nickelodeon. (laughs) 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 They got to get gacked, bro. (laughs) Uh, That's it. That would be so fucking sick. Just next to the cast of the Wizards of Waverly Place. <laughs> Getting fucking two women 
busting, just coming with just green shit all over their faces. <laughs> you see Katy Perry get hit in the face with that yeah, shit? Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah. They need to get Katy perry Okay, so, so, okay. But is there another substance we can buy or make for edible purposes? Oh. Particularly one that could be on hand at short notice. <laughs> this is, uh, you gotta do some meal prep if you want to come on hand. <laughs> and you're not gonna have a set of balls. Jizz so. prep? <laughs> <laughs> this is what Frank Sabaka meant when he said we don't make things in America anymore. <laughs> I love that said, I love that said buy or make, meaning like, you really think you're gonna get a fucking recipe out of this? <laughs> <laughs> Two parts corn starch. <laughs> I love that. So it goes, uh, I would like to experiment more with coming on my partner's food. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Down what? their throat. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Why what would you want to come this? on your partner's food? Just I don't know. It's you know silly. The erotic fantasy that many women have of being a 13-year-old boy playing gookie cookie. <laughs> no, I, 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 got a, I got a strict line there. Like, uh, sex and food are complete. If they're if they're together, I'm gonna. It's yeah, rough. it's disgusting. You need to eat right after you. Bu- the moment I bust, then yes, I think. Then you want to eat exactly. The second it's out, actually, I'm like, like the, you've the, worked up an appetite at that the, point. The, the that's wh- the thing. If you're eating before you've come, you haven't earned it. That's true. The one good piece of sex advice that Dan Savage ever made was have sex before you go out for a big dinner. 100%. It's like a, like a Valentine's meal. That you go out to some like super rich meal, and then you're just like, I, I'd like to just go to sleep oh, for yeah. 45 My, my also, dick is not working after a ribeye. No <laughs> yeah. chance. He also said, make sure that you bust before you invade a rat. <laughs> <laughs> women, uh, women do prefer like just riding a guy who's filled with stew. <laughs> Hear that shit okay. gurgle like a waterbed? <laughs> <laughs> All right, like, well, let, well, let me finish this question. Let me finish this question. Here it goes. I would like to experiment more with coming on my partner's food, down their throat, etc. Okay. Down coming their throat. On my okay, like, food. I mean, okay, the second one, fair enough. But sure, we're coming up come with on. the first one. Coming on my partner's food sounds like a YouTube prank. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, okay. Came on my partner's food. Real. <laughs> yeah. So. Coming down their throat, etc., and I don't feel like silicone lubricant is the best option for their digestive health. Signed, sadly semenless. <laughs> so, wow. okay, to our, to our esteemed panel here, uh, what are your what are the best readily available cum substitutes? Well, how about this? Don't when you when they breed like horses and shit, can't you <laughs> yes. buy horses? <laughs> yeah. Buy some horses. I saw, yeah, I've seen jackass too. You know. <laughs> also, what I mean? here's another option. Just bring a big baggie to a no loads refused. <laughs> yes. Like that load, those loads are just falling all over the place. They're going uncollected. No I'm one's sure. gonna mind if you just like scoop that shit up. That is true. That's like how, that's like when you go to a grocery store and say, "Hey, I'm moving. Do you have any boxes?" Yeah, that's a great point. Go to a gay orgy and be like, "You guys got any cum to spare?" <laughs> we got so much, man. Yeah. You're sparing us having to clean it up. Yeah. Well. I think you guys are kind of being silly, but I'll answer in a practical sense. Okay, please sense. do. Sorry for carrying on, Felix. Go ahead. That's yeah, okay. <laughs> Drop that knowledge. Well, okay, Elmer's glue is famously non-toxic because it's for children. That's true. It's famously yeah. non-toxic. It's yeah, true. They, they changed it because they know kids use it, and they're like, all right, we're going to get sued if they slurp it. Sure. <laughs> but it doesn't, it maybe looks like a really sick guy's cum. That's true. You, I don't need think, a, yeah. you need a little, you, you got to thin it out a little bit. Exactly. Well, wait, water. A little, a little water, bit of water and then, I don't know, a little bit of, um, 
uh, turmeric for color. <laughs> <laughs> turmeric? What the fuck is wrong with your jizz? Yeah, you, got you got yellow jizz, Will? What the fuck? <laughs> just a little for color, so it's not this just so per- perfectly this, white. This jizz isn't brown enough. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's a you problem, too. <laughs> Go to the doctor. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Like, I guess honey is sort of like very thick cum, but it's too sweet. Yeah. And the color. She could do molasses. I don't know. I mean, what about, what about like fucking, um, uh, yeah, not, what's the other one that's not molasses? Just corn sugar, corn syrup? <laughs> what about yogurt? Yogurt? Can uh, you do like a yogurt? Would that how, work? Like, that's like, a good point. Do they, can, this be non-ref- can this be refrigerated? Can we- <laughs> well, I mean, it's like available on a moment's notice. Yeah, keep it in the fridge. But if you go to the, if you go to the pimped out cum dump party, please keep the, keep the jizz you collect in the fridge. It goes off. That's true. I've got a very specific one. Okay. The packets of frosting in a Pillsbury cinnamon. Oh, yes. Get a bunch of those. Maybe add just a little bit of water. Dilute that. Spare some too sweet. Too sweet. That's right. I don't care about the flavor. You can only ask for so much, okay? Maybe instead of water vinegar. I don't know. But it's too sweet. This just pretend you've been a guy who's like been eating pineapples all week, and you're That's sucking true. them up. Yogurt is point. yogurt probably has the most similar like uh, splatter pattern. <laughs> this is also from Felix's all, if true you really crime want, watches. If you want flavor, yeah. if, we, like, if you want I, yeah. it to taste correctly, then it, the recipe has to include pool water at some point. <laughs> That's right? true. That's a good point. We'll do pool, two, one part pool water, two parts Elmer's glue, yeah. and a little bit of two percent Faye. That'll do it. <laughs> there we go. Folks, we've solved. See, that's what she should have replied with. We just solved that recipe. It. Got it. No Chobani. Fuck that shit. It's got to be Faye, the good shit. <laughs> that's right. Okay, we've solved the fake chiz problem. All right, this is another dear Prudy letter that I'd like to share with uh, Stav on stage here. Okay, dear Prudy. I am a 55-year-old opinion journalist who has recently divorced after moving to Hungary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, who the fuck is it? My wife and kids okay. resent me for abandoning them to slurp or- awesome. oysters in Budapest and save Western civilization with my small cadre of young male grad students. Lots of people are making fun of me because of my many years of condemning divorce and the homosexual assault on society. (laughs) Many are saying that my behavior, that my behavior and columns I've written in the past, coupled with my recent divorce, is evidence that I'm, quote, gay as hell, and would, I quote, be much happier sucking cock (laughs) than doing whatever it is I'm up to now. How do I convince everyone that just because I devote most of my life to imagining the decadent Babylonian nihilism of hardcore gay sodomy, that I'm not gay, but in fact, normal? <laughs> Signed, bereft in Budapest. Interesting. Okay, That's I think a I'm going <laughs> Yeah. All right. This is a real advice letter, by the way. So, you suss it out. I'm talking, of course, about Rod Dreher. Brother Rod. Oh, hell Yeah. <laughs> there he is. There's a boy. Why, why didn't we say, oysters. by the way, why didn't we say oysters for cum? For the, for the, for the, for the oh, shit. That's, that's what, are they made point. out of money? Huh? Yeah, you're right. You're that's right. a good point. Yeah. On your anniversary. So, oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> Put him through a, one of those uh, cake icing tubes. <laughs> Fucking Oy- shoot honestly, oysters out. <laughs> oy- oysters and pool water. I think you're there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, we've, so done, this we, we've done this one at a few. I, I keep looking at this photo. I, I would like an like a Goya-style oil painting of this that's, like, 
Saturn soy facing at his son. <laughs> someone, someone did that in LA. There was a someone made the painting. Oh my god! Of, <laughs> to that. of Saturn devouring his son. Only it was Rod eating an oyster. <laughs> I don't get how someone like that plugged into right wing online stuff. Like did a pure naked soy face. So this is this is like we brings us to Rod's latest masterpiece and uh, New York City. I, I have been... <laughs> okay, there we go. <laughs> it's not just one picture. It's not just one. This guy rocks. So New York City... Uh, there's I, no reason that he savors the textures and briny flavor <laughs> of, of oysters sliding down his throat. No reason. Just a coincidence. So in New York City, I have been mining cheap comedy material from Rod Dreher for probably 10 years now. And right before this latest stretch of shows, he just writes a column that is, in my opinion, the Rosetta Stone for his whole career. <laughs> so the latest Rod column, which I think we could treat sort of like a Dear Pretty column. This is, this is a cry for help here. So I'm going to just go straight to the heart of what I regard to be the Rosetta Stone of Rod Dreher's entire career. And, and also the Rosetta Stone of all, like, a good, not, not most of, but like, a, I would say a third of conservative male sexuality can be summed up in this Rod cry for help. What we have now, this is Rod writing, what we have, and this is like the, the, for the preamble for this piece. Oh, man. Yeah, the, pre the preamble for this piece is like, he's just talking about like, <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, I'll get, I'll get there. I'll get Holy there. Holy shit. I'll get, I'll get there. I will get there. But this like, guy okay, fucking okay. rules, dude. <laughs> The preamble for this piece is just a bunch of social science that would seem to suggest that people under the age of 40 uh, don't agree with him and are gayer than they used to be. So here's what he says. What we have now challenges a pre presupposition that I long held, that sexual desire was fairly fixed. I think we now see that it is more fluid than we once thought. There's a lot of fluid involved, that's for sure. <laughs> And that heterosexuality is partly something innate, but also something that must be achieved. <laughs> that is, sexual desire is an overpowering force within each of us, one that we must be taught to channel. Oh, I believe shit. that most people are either predominantly heterosexual or predominantly homosexual in their desire, but these boundaries aren't as sharply drawn as I once believed. Taboos play a meaningful role in telling people what they should desire and therefore guiding them to maturity. Here's where it gets really good. I think back to the all-male dorm I lived in during my I'm last sure few years did. of high school. I'm sure you do think back to that. I'm sure you think back to that all the time. Okay. On the regular. <laughs> think... <laughs> Think of a dorm mm -hmm. full of uh, 100 high school juniors and seniors I'm doing it in right the now. early 1980s. Yes, yes. Imagine the pent-up uh -huh. sexual I desire. I'm imagining it. I'm imagining it. Keep going, keep going, keep going. There were a handful of guys uh -huh. who, who were out or semi-out yes. as gay. Yes. And nobody thought anything of it. Uh-huh. I remember a couple of them took advantage of the dorm yeah. administration's inability to recognize what was happening. Yes. To get themselves assigned a uh -huh. room together. Yes. Even though they were quietly a couple. Yes. A bunch of us envied them uh -huh. and all the sex they yes. must be having. Oh, yeah. Uh, it was a bunch of us, keep by going, the way. Keep going, keep going, keep going. I was there. Yeah. A bunch of us really envied them. A lot of us did. <laughs> it wasn't just me. Me and the guys would get together and talk about how wish we, we wish we were in a gay couple You know, college. that's what you do. You get, you get in the common room and you'd be like, dude, I wish I was gay. <laughs> that, this guy is so fucking awesome. I, I like the... I like the the mystification he does where it's like, oh, like, well, no, because they were having sex. 
Yeah. No, I'm 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 jealous of his wife getting fucked by him because she's having sex. Yeah. I wish I could be his wife, but with a dick, and he has a vagina. Yeah. But I'm her getting fucked by him. <laughs> he's okay. gonna, he's like he's like reinventing how we see existence in a platonic sense. <laughs> A bunch of us envied them and all the sex they must be having. Mm -hmm. The thing is, the only thing <laughs> preventing any of the rest of us from doing the same thing right. was the internalized taboo against gay sex. The only thing? Yeah. <laughs> That's the only thing. I don't know, man. That's so sick. That this rules. Is, see, this is such a perfect callback to the Prager piece of being like, only religious uniformity will uh, prevent people from fucking their sister is like, Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I never wanted to fuck her. I was horny as shit in high school. I never wanted to fuck any of the dudes. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. This is a guy who's been paid for his thoughts for years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's written several books. <laughs> like, so, wait, if, if, it, if it's like just the internalized taboo, like, okay, then why isn't homosexual? Why aren't like 99% of boys gay yeah. now? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it goes there. Uh, e okay, so the only the only thing preventing us or only. any of the rest of us mm -hmm. from doing the same thing was the internalized taboo against gay sex. Even though everybody in my class, to my recollection, was quite tolerant of homosexuality, it was also something that very few of us had any interest in experimenting. I wonder with. why. <laughs> See, I think Rod is like not totally wrong in that if there were less stigma associated yeah, with being gay, there would among, be more gay sex for sure. Like. If there was less stigma associated with having gay sex among straight guys, so let's say we did like our society completely remove that from all of our brains, I think a lot of guys would be getting their cock sucked watching NFL Red Zone on Sunday. Uh -huh. For sure. Well, it's like it's like 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 I bought all this healthy all these healthy groceries so I wouldn't eat bad late at night, and I really want chocolate ice cream, but I put a fucking protein powder in some fucking Cheerios. To fucking scratch the itch. That's what. That's that's that would be getting your dick sucked by your gay friend who lives like next door. You know what I mean? It's like, I wish it was a woman, but come on, what are we gonna do here? You know? I think a lot more of that would happen. There was a um, there was a British Conservative member of Parliament uh, named uh, Michael Portillo, and he did a series of interviews in the mid '90s around a "Don't Ask, Don't Tell" type policy because he was Secretary of Defense. And he was like, well, you know, like, I had gay relationships in college, but, like, I grew up. <laughs> <laughs> so it's similar to this. All right. L last paragraph. Last paragraph. Hell Note yeah. well that I'm not saying that non-standard sexual desire and practice did not exist in the Christian period. Of course it did, and it always will. But society had strong models around which people were expected to conform as part of social and psychological maturity. Those models help push and pull us past the fear of sexual maturity and intimacy with people of the opposite sex. What? Fear? Okay, folks, I don't know how many people who used to be teenage boys are in the audience tonight, but I guess I gotta say, the thought of having sex with a woman when I was a teenager did terrify me, but the part that terrified me was not having sex with a woman <laughs> yeah. ever. That's what fucking kept me up in cold sweats at night. And the possibility that I would do literally anything to achieve that, just to see tits. Yeah. I would have oh, probably, yeah. like, yakuza my pinky. 100%. As Rod writes... It's a scary thing for a teenage boy to think about sex with women. 
What? <laughs> no, I don't. I don't remember that. Yeah. Well, no, that that's that's why that's in. You know, there's uh, sex in all those teen horror movies. Yeah, yeah. Always starts out with the scariest part: the couple yeah. hooking up, <laughs> the girl showering. That's. Yeah. That's my. That's the scariest part of Friday the Thirteenth. <laughs> <laughs> and to, uh, to close we're, it out, we're here. all just we're waiting for Jason to come and uh, relieve us of the fear by killing us. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll be dead, but at least I won't have to have sex with a woman. <laughs> Woo! What a relief! I like, I like the idea that like having sex with a woman is the bravest thing you can do. <laughs> Uh, uh, female sex havers are the real operators. They're the real heroes. I mean, like, going down on a girl, sure. But, like... <laughs> to close it out, Rod writes, yes, it's scary. It's a scary thing for a teenage boy to think about sex with no, women. No, After not. all, women's bodies are so different from theirs. Exactly! Exactly! <laughs> That's the fucking point! That's what hetero That's means. the entire point of being straight is that you want the opposite of what you have. And the male ego can be awfully fragile. <laughs> but most push past that, driven by sexual desire that has been channeled into courtship rituals, however messy that may be. Courtship rituals? Yeah. That's, what, that's his favorite part? Yeah. It's not the sex. It's like... Uh, Bringing flowers a- to her mother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Commenting on how nicely appointed her breakfast nook is. Riding in a bicycle built for two. Man. That's the hot shit. Man, I hate dating. It's like, yeah, everyone remembers the fun part, like delivering her a singing telegram. <laughs> but no one ever talks about the hard stuff, like fucking her. <laughs> This guy's unbelievable, dude. This is crazy. This is a real guy. Yeah, this is a real person. <laughs> and, and like, okay, like, and, and, you know, I, I, I referenced it in, in the fake year pretty loader, but like, stop. This guy has a daily column that he writes for the American Conservative, which I, you know, I peruse quite frequently. And I would say 75% of his columns are like him holding a flashlight under his chin at a campfire, describing in explicit details the mechanics of gay sex. <laughs> two weeks ago, two weeks ago, he tweeted without context a like WikiHow uh, uh, model of the male colon. Oh, <laughs> by yeah. itself. That's awesome. He's like, he's he's gone deeper. He's like obviously like a huge like trans panic guy, and he was the first guy who I ever uh, first reputable writer, I guess, that ever wrote about sissy hypno on YouTube. Oh <laughs> shit! Yeah, well, well, that's made to learn for that this he's guy. Terrified yeah. of being uh, accidentally hypnotized into becoming a bimbo. Zero people <laughs> in history have accidentally been sissy hypnotized. <laughs> nah, dude, it is a big pro- it's a big problem, dude. I don't know. <laughs> All right, uh, so like, uh, let's give it up for Rod one more time. Let's thank Rod. That guy, ro- that guy I rules. would like to personally thank Rod Dreyer. Shout out to Rod for writing this column the week of our fucking biggest tour ever. <laughs> thank you, Rod. <laughs> Florida, it is uh, great to be here with you guys tonight, rounding out our fall tour in the great state of Florida. And this is my very first time in Fort Lauderdale and Miami. I know you're thinking, how the fuck has this guy lived in New York City his whole life and never been to Miami? Well, please, please, friends, keep in mind that I am uncircumcised. And... You know, I would like to take this opportunity now to thank Governor Ron DeSantis for repealing the circumcision passport that you used to need to travel from New York to Florida. So it's wonderful to visit this great state. Um, I'd like to actually just do 
a little, little just sort of like poll at the, at the beginning of the show tonight. Um, how, many, how, many, how many in the audience tonight, by, by applause, are lifelong Floridians? Okay. And okay. So I'm going to assume that means you live here year-round? All right. Okay. You, you know that, like, the weather here is, like, not normal. It's... It's, it's, frankly, it's not okay. It's I fucked mean, up. <laughs> What's wrong with you? What are you doing here? Yeah, I mean, like, to each his own, live and let live, but I would kill myself if I lived here. <laughs> How's when, I, when, I, when, I when I got off the plane and, you know, I started uh, getting out of the grouping of my flight and uh, I started to lose the Angelinos, the sleek and long people of the, of the Western states... Uh, I began to see native Floridians who clearly have a lizard blood type set up to yeah. be able to live in this inhospitable climate. <laughs> the sun is wrong here. I don't know what it is. I've been to places that are hot, but it's different. You walk and the sun is there and it just feels evil. How, how should I put this? How should I put this? Florida is not a climate that mammals should live in. I would take a 100-degree day in California over an 80-degree day in Florida. It is, it's, a, it's really funny. We, so we've been here, we got here uh, the other day, and we're walking around, uh, walking around South Beach, which is beautiful, Miami, very cool city. But uh, Matt is walking around literally just shaking his fist at the weather. I'm not, I'm not built for this. It's not good. This is, this is why people think the Jews are reptilians. <laughs> It raises well, why questions. Why else would they live here? It raises questions. I'm sorry. <laughs> I need to start this segment with a brief disclaimer. As repeated multiple times throughout this live show, all personal details pertaining to all individuals mentioned in the next segment are alleged. All right. On with the show. So Revolution Fort Lauderdale, I'd like to present to you now, told for the first time on Chapo Trap House ever, my Jason Miller saga. I'm calling this Florida's worst fuckface. <laughs> so, basically, the story begins with a tryst, an affair to remember, a brief encounter when A.J. Delgado, yes, A.J. Delgado met said fuckface while working on the 2016 Trump campaign. I'm gonna, this is a new story that came out after the lawsuit I was involved in, but this is just, uh, this is a suit A.J. Delgado filed against, the, against like uh, Trump's advisors and people she worked with. Lawsuit says Trump's 2016 campaign staffer was punished after supervisor got her pregnant, yes. That's right, Jason Miller uh, dumped his evil demon seed into A.J. Delgado while his actual wife was in her third trimester of pregnancy. And they didn't even make a tape that I could watch. Let <laughs> me <laughs> read it. A uh, former staffer for President Trump's 2016 campaign claims she was stripped of her responsibilities and frozen out of a White House job after she got pregnant from an affair with her supervisor. A.J. Delgado on Monday filed a federal lawsuit in Manhattan alleging discrimination from the Trump campaign and transition team, as well as three men who once held top spots in Mr. Trump's White House, Stephen Bannon, Sean Spicer, and Rince Priebus. Delgado felt extremely humiliated, degraded, victimized, embarrassed, and emotionally distressed by the treatment she faced after announcing her pregnancy. Okay, like, I, I'm sure they treated her like shit, but like, once again, you let Jason Miller nut in you wrong. 
But you got to admit, like, for a woman, it, like, being on top, that's probably amazing to look down at <laughs> while you're riding it. Yeah. He looks like... That's probably awesome. He looks like... If anyone's seen the Garbage Pail Kids movie, <laughs> uh, that's what he looks like. Dude, his fucking... His, he looks like he is wearing a mascot head over his actual head. His fucking beard looks like a coffee stain when you leave it like a mug on a newspaper. But the thing is, he has to have it because if he didn't have the beard, he would look like a Charles Schultz character. He would look like a Peanuts. Just he a is a peanut. He is IRL Cartman. I am like, I cannot wait till we can study his skeleton. <laughs> Because it's just like the, the, the neck just runs straight into the mouth. There's no jaw or any hint of one. The lawsuit says Mr. Trump praised Delgado as a star, invited her on stage at events, and said at least three times he would hire her as a White House staffer if he won. Things allegedly took a turn in November 2016 after Delgado learned that she was pregnant from an affair with Jason Miller, her married supervisor on the campaign. The lawsuit alleges that after Delgado told Miller about her pregnancy, he said that she could not be seen, quote, waddling around the White House pregnant. (laughs) She's a really bad guy. Uh, this is, the complaint says that during Mr. Trump's transition, officials suddenly started ignoring Delgado and discouraging her work. Spicer, who would become Mr. Trump's first White House press secretary, allegedly told Delgado that the White House was no place for a new mom. There's only one person who's going to be waddle, waddling around the Trump White House. <laughs> it's Donald Trump. So, a lot of, you know, this is a, this is a, a, a very... She, AJ Delgado, I mean, look, she worked for Donald Trump, so I don't have, like, too much sympathy for her. But, like, yeah, they treated her like shit and drummed her out of the job because she got, she got pregnant. And honestly, like, I, believe me, I'm sure there was a lot of, like, unspoken pressure for her to, you know, exercise certain options that are now not available to, I don't know, half of the country. Which brings us to the incident that preceded the lawsuit that I got involved in, which is the work of my love, Catherine Krieger, who was... <laughs> Kevin Krieger, who wrote the following article for Splinter.com. From the article, the ongoing custody battle between former Trump campaign operatives Jason Miller and A.J. Delgado has taken another nasty turn. In an explosive new court filing, Delgado's legal team alleges that Miller, prior to their own high-profile extramarital romance, carried out an affair with a woman he met in an Orlando strip club. Additionally, the court documents claim when the woman found out she was pregnant, Miller surreptitiously dosed her with an abortion pill without her knowledge leading, the woman claims, to the pregnancy's termination and nearly her death. So basically what happened is that a a source gave Catherine court documents, things that were filed in a Florida, uh, it was basically an an alimony trial over the money that Jason Miller was not paying (laughs) in child support to the, like, one of the many mothers of his demon-spawned children. So... You know, the, the allegations, and it's important, I, it, it's simply important that I stress that these are only allegations. Draw your own conclusions. Like, is, do you think Jason Miller is the kind of guy that would impregnate a stripper and then nearly kill her trying to force an abortion on her? Ask yourself that question. Yes. Look, you said it, I didn't. So uh, CNN, which he was now then working for as a, you know, uh, like a, a contributing uh, commentator, uh, fired him. Which leads to my tweet, the most expensive tweet of all time. I did this a day after Catherine 
got sued. So like, okay, so like, Jason Miller lost his job at CNN. And then he hires the law firm that killed Gawker for Hulk Hogan and Peter Thiel to sue Catherine for a hundred, Catherine and Gizmodo Media and Univision, the, the parent company, for $100 million for the damage done to his career and reputation based on the, the court documents filed that were made public by Catherine. So, a day after I found out, we were on tour at the time, we were in Minnesota, a day after I found out that Catherine has now just like having her entire life and career threatened by this fuck, just fucking just pig, this absolute fucking pig. I, but the most, one of the most expensive tweets of all time, I still have not deleted it, it is still up and will remain up. Rat-faced baby killer and Trump PR homunculus Jason Miller is suing my girlfriend for 100 million. Cool. Not too much long after I made that tweet, I get a call from a journalist of the Daily Beast asking me for comments on me being added to this 100 million dollar lawsuit for defaming Jason Miller. <laughs> this fat cocksucker ruined my afternoon. Like I found out about oh, you it. Ruined your afternoon. <laughs> I would, I would argue it had more of an impact on me. <laughs> because, I mean, like, you know, you had the emotional high of the involvement. Um, meanwhile, I was thinking about the tangibles. What happened if we got gawkered? Would I have to go to grad school? I would say I went through the most. And you got to remember, this is when Fortnite was really good. And he couldn't really enjoy or concentrate on it. No, yeah, this was actually during the box fight meta, that is correct. So yeah, this was, uh, as you might imagine, if you know, anyone has not been involved in a lawsuit, uh, let, me, let me tell you, it's uh, not fun. I would avoid it if possible. Uh, just, yeah, from the little media coverage, uh, ex-Trump aide Jason Miller has added Will Menneker, a co-host of leftist podcast comedy, comedy podcast, Chapo Trap House, to a $100 million defamation lawsuit for calling him a rat-faced baby killer on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> this case... This case is a terrifying example of how people can use false accusation of violence against women to destroy someone's life, the lawsuit reads. It's, a, it's okay, like, this is like the, this is the, the, the absurdity of all of this, is that, like, these are allegations filed in a court. Those are, like, whether they're sealed or not, once a journalist publishes it, it's fucking fair reporting. And every state in America, other than Florida, that would be the case. But we were, Kat and I were sued in Florida for a very specific reason. I will also add that all of the New York City-based um, uh, pro bono legal advocacy groups that um, do for free the work of protecting uh, the rights of journalists and freedom of speech against spurious libel lawsuits like this declined to represent me. So I had to get, uh, actually, it was, I got to get actual attorneys at a fucking pricey-ass law firm who specializes in libel defense. It says, following news of Miller's lawsuit, Menneker, who is dating Krieger, tweeted, well, wait, we've another tweet. Um, Miller is seeking unspecified damages for Menneker's misconduct. Menneker misconduct mindset. That's me. I called it, I called it the Menneker Me Too moment. <laughs> that was the Cosby picture. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's got one Me Too moment in them. At least one. On Thursday, with the help of the attorneys who killed Gawker, Miller added Menneker to the suit. 
Miller is speaking unspecified damages for Menneker's misconduct, the suit says. Miller seeks against those who ruined his life, branded him a criminal, and made him and his family social pariahs by broadcasting lies to millions of people on the internet. You know, um, <laughs> broadcasting lies is his job on CNN. Well, I, okay, okay. If Jason Miller, if his friend group, I have to presume every guy he's friends with like has done that like abortion pill smoothie trick, right? Or at least like, oh, I'll like kick her down the stairs and be like, that was an accident. I thought you were an intruder. Or, you know... They got a whole, there's actually an entire subreddit devoted to that subject. Yeah, or like, you know, the classic wife killing. If, they, if he was a pariah in that group, it's something else that he did. <laughs> So basically, um, yeah, like I'm now being sued for $100 million. Um, I have to pay a shitload of money for a legal defense. And the question for my lawyers and me was, how were they going to defend me? Were they going to defend me on the merits of free speech and my right to like, you know, hyperbolic? Your Honor, look at him. He looks like a fucking rat. I'm sorry. <laughs> the thing is, like, if I just called him a rat-faced homunculus, he wouldn't have sued me. It was the baby killer part. And he was like, oh, like, like he's stating as... Because like, the thing is, like, what they were alleging is that, like, Catherine, uh, myself, and A.J. Delgado conspired in a premeditated way to, to, like, plant these allegations in Florida, a family court, and then to have her publish it, and then me make fun of him as a baby killer on Twitter, all consciously knowing that he didn't um, nearly kill a woman and actually did kill the, uh, you know, fetus inside of her by dosing her with drugs that reacted with the street drugs in her system and nearly killed her. So the question is, should my lawyers defend me on the merits of the case, like, you know, take a stand for freedom of speech and, you know, hyperbolic comedy and satire of public figures? Or should they get me off on a technicality? I knew immediately, get me off on a fucking technicality. <laughs> because, because the judge presiding over this case is, I'm sorry, a judge from Florida who was appointed by George W. Bush. I did not want to take any fucking chance that I was going to have to be in a courtroom being like, come on, ironic humor is funny, right? <laughs> they would have fucking just dropped me in the Everglades. They wouldn't even have sent me to fucking jail. But it was exactly the right choice. And Florida, here is my favorite part. You guys here in Florida played a crucial role in my being dismissed from this $100 million lawsuit. And I will tell you why. Lack, this is from The Hollywood Reporter, lack of Florida Twitter following helps writer dodge Jason Miller defamation suit. <laughs> Reading from The Hollywood Reporter, uh, it says here, in January, Menneker asked U.S. District Judge Cecilia Altonaga to dismiss the claim in part because of his limited contact with the state of Florida. <laughs> his attorney, Charles Tobin, argued that Menneker lives in Brooklyn and hasn't visited Florida in more than a decade. Miller's attorney, Shane Vaught, pushed back, arguing that the tweet was in reference to an article about a filing made in Miami-Dade Family Court. Miller does business there, and his son lives in the state. Which one? <laughs> 
Altonaga first explains the standards related to Florida statute concerning specific personal jurisdiction over a non-resident defendant. In Florida, a non-resident defendant commits the tortious act of defamation in Florida for Florida purposes of Florida's long-arm statute when the non-resident makes allegedly defamatory statements about a Florida resident by posting those statements on a website, provided that website post containing the statements are accessible in Florida and accessed in Florida. God, court is so fucking boring. <laughs> Reading any legal document, Jesus Christ. In support of Miller's arguments, Vought hired consultant Eric Zimmerman to analyze Menneker's tweets, Twitter following, and shows that users in Florida access the tweet. While the subject matter of the tweet here in a, is a Florida lawsuit, the allegations and jurisdictional discovery reveal, this is their own expert that they hired, by the way, jurisdictional discovery reveal only two-tenths of 1% of Menneker's Twitter followers are in Florida, writes Judge Altonaga. So, so... Before I discuss any allegations against any other Florida fuckface, I would like all of you in the room tonight to do me a favor and unfollow me on Twitter right now. You can make a burner account on a phone you buy in a different state or something like that. Use a VPN. <laughs> yeah, good. use a VPN. Log in from the Netherlands and you can follow me then. But please, if you are in Florida, do not follow me on Twitter. I mean, the fact, your lack of interest in me or anything, I have to say, truly, truly saved my ass. So, Florida, thank you for your disinterest in me. That was, uh, I mean, it was, it was a huge relief, but I was like, this is perfect because this is the funniest possible way that I could be, get off the hook for this. And the thing is, had, the, had I actually had to gone, to gone to trial and the judge had not ruled that like, I could get off on a technicality because they had no standing to sue me in the state of Florida, the only legal defense left to me at that point was the precedent established by Larry Flint's Supreme Court case and victory against Jerry Falwell. And the, the standard is that you cannot libel public figures with hyperbolic satirical statements. That's what I would have had to defend on to, you know, like defend me from like, you know, <laughs> ruining my life, financially ruining my life. Did not trust the judge in Florida to cotton to that argument. So I was thrilled to get out of this fucking lawsuit. But that didn't matter because the real hero of this story, Catherine, was of course still on the hook. And it came down to the, the Friday before that she was due in Miami-Dade Courthouse on that Monday. Judge Altanaga, that Friday afternoon, dismissed her from the lawsuit as well. Because she just didn't want this clogging up her fucking docket. But I will say, every lawyer I talked to about this case said that for both myself and Catherine, it was a fucking travesty that they got even that far. Like, they, they should, like the, the lawsuit should have been filed and immediately dismissed. Immediately dismissed. But the important part is, of course, that Catherine was also taken out of this lawsuit. I'm just gonna read from this article here. Splinter prevails in $100 million defamation suit brought by ex-Trump staffer Jason Miller. A federal judge on Tuesday ruled in favor of Splinter, the site's managing editor, Catherine Krieger, and the site's parent company, Gizmodo Media Group, in a $100 million defamation lawsuit brought by Jason Miller. Now, the question I had this whole time was I was like, okay, like, Peter Thiel killed Gawker because they, they revealed to Saudi Arabia he's gay. 
And I was like, okay, I was just assumed, I was like, well, Peter Thiel is probably backing this because like Univision is a, you know, politically hostile to the Trump administration. And, well, you know, any pressure they can put on Catherine through me, they're going to do. These guys are serious cocksuckers. They, they're sharks. They play for the fucking kill. And I was like, okay, so like who's bankrolling this lawsuit? Because these guys charge $700 an hour. These guys are no fucking joke. So I was like, you know, Jason Miller doesn't have that kind of money. There has to be some like daddy Warbucks like funding this for political reasons. No, as it turned out, the Hulk Hogan Peter Thiel law firm took this case essentially pro bono with the expectation that they would get like half of a billion dollar judgment against Univision. So they worked this whole case for free, including deposing Catherine for something like eight hours in a Manhattan office, uh, like office room. And I gotta say, I, I love her so much. These are the guys that fucking melted Gawker. She did not crack even once even once. And under eight hours of questioning, she gave these guys a nothing. Nothing. So, in light of that, to, to end out the show this evening and the Jason Miller saga, unfortunately, Catherine could not be with us here tonight, but it would be a shame if we did not hear from the real hero of the Jason Miller fuckface saga. Catherine, take it away. Hey, it's Catherine, victorious defendant in Jason Miller versus Gizmodo Media Group, LLC, et al. Will and I were the et al. Uh, former managing editor of Splinter, RIP, and current uncredited writer on the hit podcast, Chapo Trap House. First of all, I'd like to say hi to all of Chapo's 20 fans in Florida, uh, all of whom are probably in this room tonight. Your court's insane court system almost killed both of us. But luckily, your overall disinterest in leftist comedy podcasts really saved Will's ass. So keep up the good work making Florida hate socialism. I also wanted to thank Will, my love, for writing probably the most expensive tweet in the history of Twitter in my defense. Your sense of justice and your love kept me going through this whole saga. And now you know never to text me for legal advice before tweeting ever again. And lastly, to that rat-faced fuck who tried to take my parents' retirement savings, ruin my life and career, and break up my relationship, burn in hell, motherfucker! So there we go. Fort Lauderdale Revolution, Miami, South Florida, Will Menneker, Catherine Krieger, not guilty, thoroughly vindicated in a fight against Florida's big, and maybe America's biggest fuckface. Florida, it is great to find, it's great to visit Florida without the threat of a hundred million dollar lawsuit hanging over my head. You guys have been great tonight. We are Chapo Trap House. Keep it going for Donzi. They're coming out one more time. Keep it going for Stavi, baby, everybody. This is the end of our tour. You guys have been awesome. Thank you so much. Good night. This is hard.
Oh, but the 